my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. Now, when you, when you um, went through the lesson, and I had you, I think no matter what we study, Hebrews 11 seems to come into full view because we realize how much when we study God's word, how much we need faith. We need to keep looking at our faith. And faith, it's such a a religious, churchy word. And it can be so minimized. It It can be used in such simple ways like, oh, I've got faith that this chair is going to hold me up. I mean, you know, you can use the word faith so flippantly. There's so many people that use the word because of different religions. I have faith. The question is, you have faith in what? So you better see what the definition of faith is. And so I directed you to Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, verse 1 is very explicit about making sure that there are words that we can define faith with. And different versions have different words, but they all pretty much, the principle is the same. Faith is when you are sure, when you are certain. Now, if you're sure and you're certain and you know I mean, and that's why we sang that song this morning, and I know it was an old one, but, but the writer got it. He got what faith is all about. I don't know about tomorrow. Do any of you? Of course not. We don't know about tomorrow. But even though he doesn't say the exact words, by faith he's saying, I just choose to live from day to day. And then many things about tomorrow, I don't even understand. But I know. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. He had to make a conscientious choice to be sure, to be certain. And then the rest of the verse goes of what I can't see. What I, what I cannot see. I can't see what tomorrow's going to bring. I can't see what this afternoon is going to bring. But I can still leave here this afternoon and have confidence that I am secure. And I remember telling you about Billy Graham. He even struggled with that. How do I know that, that Jesus was born, that the angels came and proclaimed How do I know that Calvary happened, that blood was shed, that Jesus came out of the tomb? I wasn't there. How do I know that Jesus actually ascended back into heaven? How do I know that this book is true? Because that's why I know the previous that I just said. That's why I know those are true. But then let's get right down to it. How do I know that the book that is teaching me all these things, how do I know that it's true? And that's that's the big question that so many people ask. And I think every one of us has got to come up with that answer. 
Because in all reality, it's a big question. Am I believing and putting all my trust and all my faith and all? How do, how do I know that this book that we just said, every word is true, and it's God's word, it's God-breathed, and Billy Graham said one day, he, when he, he said, everything I base, what I preach, and what I stand on, I base it on God's word. How do I know it's true? I choose to believe it by faith. I am sure, I am certain, not what I can see, but of the one I can't. And we have to make that simple choice. What am I going to put my surety in? What am I going to be? What am I going to be certain of? What am I going to stand on without any? Because if you know something, this needs to kind of keep going over our in our mind. If you are absolutely sure and certain, and you absolutely know, you won't what? You won't waver, and you won't doubt. And doubt is such, I mean, look at Satan used in Genesis 3, and he's still using that one. It's so easy to plant a little seed of doubt, and before you know it, you're questioning everything. So that's why this is fundamental. You've got to make a choice and say, I choose to believe this book. I choose to believe every word is true. And then if somebody is still persistent, they say, well, that's up to you. But how do you know? They'll still, I had this, that's why I'm saying that. Somebody, I said, because I choose to believe it by faith. But how do you know? And I finally just looked at him and said, because I look in the mirror every day. And I know what I used to be. And I know what I am. Now. And I know what he, what what I'm going to turn out to be. I know that because I'm watching, I'm watching the transformation and only one person can do that and only one book can do that. That's how we know. You make a choice to say, I'm sure and certain and I know it's true. And then you go in and you stand on that and you don't waver and you don't doubt. Anybody that tries to tell you that faith it's something you can have, but you also can have doubt. I don't see how that's possible. I'm sorry. I just don't see how it's possible. There's no way I can say, I'm sure and certain, and then say, yeah, but. And, I mean, just when I said that, does that make any sense? Oh, I know. I'm sure. I'm positive. But, no, faith, if you are sure of it, if you are sure of Jesus and his word. And see, that's why it's black and white. Gray happens when we start getting wishy-washy and we don't stand. And we don't utilize our faith and make a choice, a conscientious choice. You watch as I, I had you read all of Hebrews 11. And last summer, we took all summer and did Hebrews 11, and we went through many of those characters because they were put there for examples to prove to us that you can be a normal human being and still live with extraordinary faith. And you can do what you don't think you possibly could ever be able to do. Faith, faith makes you strong. Faith helps you to see that it's not you doing it. He's just using you. 
when you start second guessing, I had, a, I had to say that to one of my boys. I had to say that when they started second guessing something about one of their sermons, they, they were so, oh, I don't know. I don't think, and I think it went over. I, I don't think, and I could just see it, and I've been there. So I said to them, I said, with, with all confidence, I said, let me just tell you this. I'm really careful with how much advice I give you. But I'm sure of this, and so I'm going to give it to you. If you've studied, like you, you, you studied the best you could. You studied that particular portion of scripture, and you studied, and you let God's spirit take those words off the page, and you studied it and let it become a part of you. And then right before you walk up to preach that sermon, you do a quick surrender. You do a quick surrender, and you say, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my mind, and I give you my mouth. And then you dare stand up with confidence because you've studied, and now you've surrendered. You believe by faith that the Holy Spirit is now going to use you as a vessel to speak through. And then you never have to second guess. If something happens different, because that happens all the time, something happens different than what you expected. Well, just know that he had something else in mind because he knows every heart that's sitting out there. He knew and loves that person enough to let things go off what you planned because that person needed to hear the truth. Don't even second guess that. Because you don't know everybody's heart. You don't know what everybody's going through. See, faith is so important in everything you do. Otherwise, you're going to be second-guessing. You're going to be doubting. You're going to be standing back, not daring to make stands for what's right. So what is your faith in? And if it's in his word, I'll tell you, we are on our way. So I want you to turn now to Second Chronicles chapter 20. This has got to be one of the most choice chapters. I say this a lot because first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, a lot of times our pages are stuck together because we don't go there usually. But this summer I did a personal study on those four books, first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. And I was so enlightened. I was so enlightened to see how God's chosen people. And you know, that's you and me too, you know. We are God's chosen. We didn't choose him, he chose us. So we are his chosen. And, and I'll tell you, once you discover who he is, and you, and you acknowledge him for who he is, and, and the spirit is, is using that power inside of you, it's extraordinary. However, the people, the people of Israel, the people of Israel, to think that that they wandered away, that they could waver, that they could even go to idol worship. And before you think, well, I would never do that. If you, if something is more important in your life than God's word and God himself, then you have got an idol. 
So you got to look at what you're spending your time and what's what's involved in your mind. What are what is who's taking over you? What's taking over you? So before we throw any stones at these people of Israel, it is so easy, even for God's chosen, to wander and to waver. So you know the history lesson, the the kingdom of Israel after Solomon was divided into two parts. The big part was the kingdom of Israel. They didn't have one good king. Because of that, because they were so evil, God sent the Assyrians to come in and take over. Never to hear from the kingdom of Israel again. Sad story, if you ask me. There was, a, there was a, another kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, very small area. They didn't have many good kings, but they had a couple, and we're going to study one this morning. However, because toward the, toward, um, in Scripture, in Jeremiah, they were so far off base that the prophet Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he just cried and pleaded and wept, getting them to come back to him and said, if you don't, the Babylonians are going to come and take you into captivity. Which happened because we have learned that God does what he says. And so that too, that story ended up sad. However, what God did say to them compared to the kingdom of Israel, he said to the kingdom of Judah, I'm going to send you into captivity because I want you to learn. I want you to get yourself back on track. It's like a 70-year time out but I am going to bring you back. And then Jeremiah 29 hits, and you know that verse, but he's saying, it's not that you're not going to pay for your sins, but I'm good on my word. And I have plans for you, plans that will prosper you and give you a future. Now, as much as we want to claim that verse and take it out of context, boy, that was a serious verse. Because Jesus, because God was saying, I've got plans about my son, Jesus. And he's going to come to redeem and buy back this sinful world. And he's going to come through the line of Judah. And so even though you're going into captivity, and you know, in my study this summer, do you know that there was only 40-some thousand people that came back to Jerusalem? When Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, when they all came wanted, because they were told by God to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild it, rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall, there was only 40,000 that wanted to go back and do that. The rest of them, oh, I'm kind of comfortable here, over here in Persia. I kind of have taken on a new way of life. You know, I've become wealthy and easy here. But because God has always had a people, and his word is true, he brought Jesus through a small group of people that were willing to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. It's quite a story. The whole Testament is a story of Jesus, how God got us a Savior. What it all, what all transpired. But one of the stories, this is a highlight. This is one of the highlights in a very dark time. I want you, in Second Chronicles, before we hit the 20th chapter, I want you to look at the 19th chapter. Because I want you to see all what Jehoshaphat did for the Lord. 
When all was so awful. When, I mean, there is one, one king, one leader, and the rest of the people are all off on their own, doing their own thing. Look what Josephus was willing to do because his faith is sure, he was sure and certain of his God. Look what he, look what he did. Verse 4, Josephus lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now we read that, and you know, we read it quickly, but can you imagine what that took for him to turn that nation back to God? Well, he put judges in place, Oh, and bunch, bunch of those, bunch of those judges as they progressed during time after Jehoshaphat died, and that these judges, as as more judges came into, they were awful. Oh, it's a story. It's hard to stay on track. It's much easier to go into our own self. But at this time, Jehoshaphat he used all his faith and brought the nation, at least for this period of time. He brought the nation back to the Lord. And he made them see that they, as a nation, were going to walk. This kingdom of Judah was going to walk with God. In the last verse of chapter 19, look what he says. Act with courage. And may the Lord be with those who do well. If you are willing to walk in step with the Lord, you know that the Lord will be be with you. Now, that's how 19 ended. Now, this is where I think we run amok. Because when we, when we, our lives are right with the Lord, and when we are doing, when we are serving him, and we think, well, now he's, He's going to bless me, and things are going to run nice and smooth and easy and comfortable. I just want you to be aware, because warnings, remember we learned that in Matthew, warnings are on purpose so that it, we aren't, we aren't um, shifted off our feet when, they, when the surprise happens. He warns us, you know, as simple as a warning curve ahead, Warnings are important, so we're prepared for them. So I'm warning you this morning from this portion of Scripture that Jehoshaphat did a mighty work for God, and he was walking by faith. And then look at the next two words of chapter 20. After this, after he worked so hard, after he got the nation of Judah back into walking with the Lord, instead of easy, here comes three nations. Three, not one, not two, but three nations. They've come to make war against Jehoshaphat. Now we serve a big God. Why in the world would God do that? After all, what Jehoshaphat has done for the Lord. I don't know if you've ever said it. I hope you're better than me because I said it. 
That's come out of my mouth a couple of times. After all what I'm doing for you. Sometimes I just dare shame myself in front of you. Because in all honesty, I think our mentality, sometimes we think that. We think we, we are now old, an easy road. But sometimes God has other plans. And if it wasn't for this chapter, you think what you and I would have missed and what we would have not learned. This is an instruction. And this is why God knew we were going to assemble together and study faith. And that Second Chronicles 20 is a, it's such a good example of what faith looks like in the middle of life. So he used Josephus. Who knows how the Lord is going to use your suffering and my suffering because people are watching. So here, he is using Josephus for you and me so we can learn. So God didn't know what he was doing. He isn't mean. In fact, just the opposite. He's, he's not mean. He is out so that we can live life to the fullest and know how to handle life when we have no control over what's happening. It's called a vast army. And vast army is anything you want to put there. Now, yes, it was literal for Josephus, three nations coming against. And, and let's face it. In all common sense and all common reasoning, you've got three nations coming against the small little kingdom of Judah. If you're just going to think about um, the logical, they're doomed. There is no way that they can come out of this. All logistics are saying it's over. And I want you to see how Josephus is just like you and I. When, some, when you get a doctor's, well, he has to give you some news. Or you have lost someone dear. And they take their last breath. And, or even, I mean, even if it's, my child, I can't understand. They're just wayward. They're living their life so not for him. I mean, you're looking at a vast army. And what is a vast army? Something that looks hopeless. And it's causing you to the temptation to waver or to doubt or to question. Life is full of these experiences of vast armies. You hear the word dementia. That's a vast army. I mean, these things, because I, I just happen to be people that I know and care about. You're starting to hear these kinds of words. And man, man, life can be cruel, it can be hard. Okay, okay, it is, and we can't do anything about it. So how are we going to deal with it? There, 
Second Chronicles 20. But look at verse 3. What's the first word that shows that Jehoshaphat is human? You get news that you don't want to hear. You get surprised. What is the first thing that happens to you? <gasps> Takes your breath away. You're alarmed. Like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. I didn't want to hear that. You know that when you've heard news that you weren't expecting or that you didn't want to hear, that maybe you were even closing your mind off from even getting yourself prepared for. But when you actually hear the word, it takes your breath away. But I want you to learn something so valuable because I'm learning it too. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. We're all going to get hit with a vast army, and we're all going to be alarmed. It's going to take our breath away. But this is where Jehoshaphat shows us. Okay, you've got a split second to decide. You've got one of two choices. We often say that God doesn't make it complicated by giving us 50 choices. He gives us only two. And he basically says, okay, this vast army is coming against you. You've got one of two choices. You can handle it your way, or you can hold on to me and handle it my way. And believe me, there is a day and night difference. You listen to the loud voice and the easy voice that you want to immediately go into that fear and that discouragement and that despair and that depression and that down and, and defeated and all those things. You go into self-pity. That is so easy to do. And that voice is talking so loud, and the pull to go in that direction is so great. But may, because faith is a, is a fruit of God's spirit. And again, the spirit will do what you can do, and that is listen to a voice that is saying just the opposite to you. But you've got to want to hear it, because he's not screaming. Faith is being sure and certain of what you can't see. You don't know how this is all going to come out. But you're sure of the voice that's saying, hold on. You and I will be there together. When you go through this flood, I'm right there with you. It will not sweep over you. So look at, look at the next words of Jehoshaphat right there. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved. To me, that's choice. He resolved. He decided. He took those two choices and said, I'm coming to you, Lord. So he resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together. I hope you underline this word, too. They came to what? Seek. They came to seek help from the Lord. Okay, this, this is your chapter. This is how you face your vast army. Give yourself a second to be alarmed. But then you make a split second choice of what two choices you're going to go. Jehoshaphat resolved to go to the Lord. He calls all the people together. What are they going to do? They're going to seek the Lord. 
I just love this next verse. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly. Does that sound some does that sound like somebody who's afraid? Does that sound like somebody who's discouraged and doomed? Jehoshaphat dared stand up in front of all the people that were watching him and looking to him. And he stood up and he said, This he said, This is what we're gonna do, folks. This is how we're going to handle this impossible situation. This is how we are going to face our vast, our vast army. We're going to go to him. We're going to seek him. And he has a prayer. And to me, it's very similar to Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer. I don't think in either prayer the Lord was expecting us to just always say it word for word, but the principles are there. If we follow the principles of Jehoshaphat's prayer and Jesus' prayer, you're going to be able to handle the vast army. But he starts, when we go to the Lord, when a vast army is coming against us, what do we usually start our prayer with? Help me. Take this away. It's all, it's usually all about me. Our natural human instinct is to start when we go to the Lord. We say, well, good, I'm going to go to the Lord. Okay, Lord, this is what I want you to do. This is how, this is how I want you to handle it. This is how I want it to work out. But aren't you pleased with me that I came to you? No, nope, that's not how the prayer works. This is how Jehoshaphat started. With all the people standing up, he's standing, all the people are watching. And they're listening as he leads this prayer. Oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? What does that sound like to you? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You start your prayer by acknowledging who he is. And that reminds you that you are not praying to air. You're not praying to someone who can't handle it. You're praying to an almighty God who not only created the world, but who rules the world and has a plan in motion. He certainly knows what's going on, and he certainly can handle it. Now, what do you think when you start acknowledging that? What do you think that does to you? All of a sudden, that alarmness starts settling down. And you start realizing that you have the opportunity and the privilege to put this in the hands of one who's got the plan in motion and is up to something in everything he does. And are you willing by faith to let him use you? through this vast army. Now you're going to see that when he said that, it kind of was in the form of a question. And so whenever you see a question mark, you think, well, then maybe you wasn't sure. Aren't you the God? Aren't you? You know, no. This, this was a, like a statement. It might have a question mark there. But he was making a statement. It's kind of like, the only way I could explain it to you, it's like when my boys were little, just like your children, did you ever say this to them? Who do you think's boss right now? Now, that's in the form of a question, but I didn't mean it as a question. 
And they didn't take it as a question. So I want to make sure that you see it is not a question of doubt. It is a question of, aren't you the one that as I, as I remember and know, aren't you the God that promised that you'll be there? Aren't you the God that promised? And watch the Holy Spirit fill your mind with what you know about him. Because how do, how do I know that it wasn't doubt? Because look at, his, look at the next words. There's no doubt here. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. And look, look at the absolute words. And no one can withstand you. I'll tell you, you start feeling fortified when you start acknowledging this is how you face your vast army. This is how you start when you make a choice to go to them and you start by saying, you are who you are. And by faith, I am sure of that. That's the number one step in your prayer. The number two step is, oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Again, it looks like a question, but what is Jehoshaphat doing? He's looking back. Aren't you the God that was there when I went through this? Aren't you the God that was there when I didn't think I was going to make it through that? And I did. It's like Jehoshaphat says, go back. And see how faithful he was to you. Now it's time for you to stand in faith in him. He's been faithful to you your whole life. So the number two step in facing your vast army is number one, you acknowledge him and you stand on who he is. Number two is you remember how he's been there for you. And he's not about to let you down now. You watch him then make the choice of, after he says, that's right. You were there then? You were there then? I'm standing on that. And you can just feel him rising with strength. They that wait on the Lord find that their strength is renewed. You're able to mount up with wings as eagles. You're able to run and not be weary, and walk and not faint. Jehoshaphat is showing you that. Jehoshaphat is decided to, to, to take the smartest man's words and to make them his. Trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to choose not to lean on what's logical here. In all my ways, I'm going to keep acknowledging you, Lord. And you promise then that you will direct. Jehoshaphat and with the people watching, they're on the right path. But then in verse 10, here's your next step. Don't be a bit afraid. So if you're following the steps, the first step, of course, is, is acknowledging who God is. The second one is remember 
what he's done for you in the past. Number three is stand firm in that truth. The fourth step is, but now here are men from these nations, Lord, that are coming against me. Is he saying to the Lord, in case you don't know, Lord, I just want you to know. No, of course not. He is not saying, but you know what? Doesn't it feel good when you say, Lord, but this is my problem. I've acknowledged you. I remember that you have been there and you won't let me down. I stand firm in that. But this is my predicament. Don't you love that? That you can cry out to him and say, I am in this. Number four is let him, let it go. But Lord, I'm lonely. Lord, this is a hard pill to swallow. You know what the Lord says? I know. He understands, but it feels good. Let it out. But then, but then you've got to come back. You can't let it go there because that will drag you down. That'll bring back the hopelessness. Acknowledge it, yes, but then look, look how he finishes the prayer. Verse 12, for we have no power. <laughs> we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. As soon and as quick as you get out of your mouth, this is my problem. As quick as you say that, you've got to say, and I don't know what to do. I don't have the power. I don't have the power to face this vast army. In and of myself, I can't do it. Now, what have we learned about why the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit at the very second of our salvation? Because he knew we couldn't. So he gave us the power. He will do it through us. Look what Jehoshaphat says. I don't have it. You don't have it. I don't have it. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are going to be upon you. Now that's how you face the vast army. You make a choice to say, my eyes are on you. Okay, then the Spirit of the Lord comes and gives the proper people at that time the words of the Lord. The words of the Lord came to Jehoshaphat. Now you see, you, you say this five-step prayer. My eyes are on you. Okay, then what's your next step? The prayer is done. I mean, your actual words of, of prayer is done. But yet you stay connected to him. Because remember, prayer is more than just saying the words. Prayer is staying connected to him. So actually, prayer does continue, but not in so many words like this specific talking to the Lord. Now what do you do? Okay. You wait for the word of the Lord. I'll tell you, you, faced, you better not ever face a vast army with this Bible shut. 
This is the word of the Lord. The next step for Jehoshaphat was, well, what did they tell him in verse 15? When the word of the Lord came, what did they make sure that Jehoshaphat was doing? Listen. You better listen. Because that's part, that's part of this whole prayer thing. You have words that you can say, but then you stay connected to him because now he's got words to say to you. And you've got to have the ears open. You've got to want to hear from him. And I'm telling you, I bet Josephine was not expecting this. Listen, Josephine, and to all of you who live in Judah. So listen to all of you who are facing a vast army. This is the word of the Lord, and he is saying this to you. Do not, because when a vast army is coming against, what is the first human response? Fear. And he says, do not fear. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Now, he has just heard you say, my eyes are on you. He just heard you acknowledge and express your faith in him. And he's coming back and saying this, what I want you to do. Do not. Oh, I know you wanna, but do not be afraid. And then the second one, another one that is so easy. This is, fear is usually first, but the second one is what? Discouragement. And he says the same thing. Don't be discouraged. So right away, you've got you've to be empowered with a power other than yourself because you want to fear and you want to be discouraged. But the power inside of you that is greater than you, by the way, if you allow it to work, will keep fear away and will keep discouragement away. And then he says these words. Because believe it or not, this battle is not yours, it's mine. And I remember when I read that the first time, I thought, I beg to differ. I'm feeling this thing. I'm living this. I would say it's my battle. And then he comes back and reminds me, yeah, but you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to me. So this battle is mine. <gasps> so the words are true. The battle is his. Now this is now this is what's so beautiful. The word of the Lord also came in verse 17. You won't even have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Take up your position. What's your position when a vast army is coming against you? I know you've been taught, I know that we're to stand firm. So in your mind you've got to stand firm. But you're going to see from Jehoshaphat that there's another position. And that is getting yourself low before him. You lay yourself out before him. Take position. Take position to make sure your position is he's God, you're not. 
This is his battle, not yours. That's your position. Because believe it or not, it's so easy to reverse that. And he's saying, you take position. You keep me in my place and you stay in yours. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. Is there any question there? The word of the Lord came. But do they know? Do they know how they're going to be delivered? No, they're told that they're going to be delivered. But they're not told how they're going to be delivered. Now, I'm spending the majority of the time on these verses. I'm going to spend very little time on the results because the results are whose business? His. What is our responsibility? Making sure we're in position. Making sure that we are connected. We make sure we know how to handle the vast army because that enables us to be able to now look. Verse 17, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face. You go out and face that vast army. And the Lord will be with you. Oh, I hope you have some kind of crayon or some kind of marker or something, some kind of star. This is something you've got to keep remembering. This is the word of the Lord to you. Jasphet bowed. Here's the big king. Here's the big leader. But when he's listening to the word of the Lord and the power of it, they all bow. Early the next morning, if you read this whole chapter, they face, they have to go over that hill. Do they know, do they know what's ahead? They do not know what's ahead. All they know and what's resonating, what they're allowing by faith to resonate in their ears is by faith we are going to be delivered. But that doesn't mean whether they're going to be delivered on this earth or they're going to be delivered in glory. We don't know how the Lord is going to answer, but by faith, do you believe that his will is perfect, that he knows what he's doing, and the results are up to him? That's why it's so easy to read this and say, well, you know, when it turns out your way, of course. I don't think that's the main issue in this chapter. So that's all about, about I'm going to say about the results. Because sometimes, yes, the Lord does deliver, and we are just so thrilled, and we even, we even make a mistake by saying, the Lord answered my prayer. He always answers your prayer, but just might not be the way you want it. Don't ever forget that. Your God is always listening to you. But he's also coming back and saying, now it's time for you to listen to me. And this is the way I want you to handle it. I want you by faith being so sure, not of what is going to happen, but sure of me. So the results are pretty much you're letting that go. I'll tell you, this is a great way to face a vast army. 
And he promises you, if you follow this pattern, to be able to be a Josephite, to have that kind of faith. So to me, that was one of the biggest, and that's why it's number seven. But the next fruit is gentleness. And a lot of times you look at the word gentle and you think, well, why is that a fruit of the Spirit? It's just a matter of calming down and talking sweet and soft. Being gentle with a person. But it's number eight. It's second to the last. And it comes after faith. Because you needed, you needed 45 minutes of a lesson on faith before you could even get to gentleness. Because gentleness is a silent strength. It is a confidence. And Jesus was such a powerful example of showing us what gentleness is. Now, I had you look up four different passages One was, of course, the one that you kind of expect. You picture Jesus gentle. Let the little children come to me. It's kind of like when Jason had his kindergarten teacher. Her name was Miss Dams. She got married, but she was was such a good, good kindergarten teacher. And Jason always made sure that I knew, well, my teacher, she never yells. Apparently, I did. And so you tell me that Miss Dams never yells. So when we went for conferences, I thought, I want to see if Jason's lying. So I said to her, I said, um, Jason tells me, and she's really such a sweet gal, and she always talks like this, slow, nice. Man, I felt like such a loser. I said to her, I said, is it true that you you never yell? You never raise your voice? You've got 30 kindergarten teacher children, 15 boys, one mine, and you never yell? You never raise your voice? She gets that cute smile on her face. And she says, no, I don't. And I said, but how do you control 30 kindergartners? And she says, well, day one. I made sure they knew that if I flip the light switch on and off, I'm in business, and they're better off not knowing what would happen if they don't listen. I said, you flip the light switch off and on, and that does it? She said, yes. Now, I learned something about gentleness that day. Yes, she is gentle in the way that physically is gentle. But she was also gentle in the way of a silent strength. I mean business. And I taught him that. And I thought, that is such a great definition of gentleness. I don't lose control because I'm so sure I'm right. Because look at the next passage, Jesus is flipping tables. Now that's all extremely different than the first passage I had you look up. 
Now, why is Jesus still gentle? Because he said, my father's house was never meant to be a place for robbers. It was to be a house of prayer. He dared stand up for his father's house. No fight, no debate. And I'm thinking, this is what I want that gentleness quality. Because when someone comes against me, your usual defense is to fight back. And if you are sure, if you know. The next passage I had is one we did in Matthew, Matthew 23, when Jesus gave seven warnings, seven woes to the Pharisees. And I used to always think that that was the one chapter Jesus was mad. That chapter was so full of love and gentleness because he gave them seven warnings. You are so phony, and I'm warning you that if you don't make change, you're going to hell. You can be as religious as you want. This is the way it's set up. You accept Jesus as your Savior, the, the one way, the one truth, the one life. And if you don't, you're going to hell. If you're sure and certain, you dare stand on that. And that is a silent strength. You don't have to debate anybody. I love it when I can say, the Bible says, Jesus said. End of topic. End of conversation, end of debate. Yeah, but you can have faith and doubt. I'll tell you what Jesus said to Thomas, I want you to believe. I don't want you to doubt. To me, that says it right there. I want you to know. I want you to be sure. I don't want you second-guessing. I don't want you to wake up tomorrow morning saying, well, if today's the day, I hope I'm going to glory. Are you going to heaven? Well, I sure hope so. He wants you to stand firm by faith, knowing without a doubt the silent strength. You bet I'm going to glory. You bet I know I'm going to be a part of the new heaven and the new earth because the old order of things has passed away. You bet I'm going to be a place where there's no more parting, no more mourning, no more tears. Let me just tell you this. Yesterday when I was with Gay, she was in and out. And she came to one time and she says, I told the, the minister that had come to see her. I told Larry, just call Anel about the songs. And then she drifted out again. And then she came to two again and she says, Oh, and by the way, what are my favorites again? And I said, Gay, let me tell you what they are. Because I know. And she was right to have Larry call me. Because I know. And even though I just had a dream and I can't sing anymore, I did the best I could by saying, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. 
yonder on Calvary's Mount Tabor, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than our sin. I said, and here's your second one. And what a day that will be when Jesus we will see. When we will look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me to that promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. She leaned her head back and that smile. And I said, oh, and you got a third one. And it is, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. All trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So let's bravely run this race till we see Christ. I said, are you all set, Kay? She says, I'm all set. Now, whether I see her again or not, I know when I walked out of that room, I blew her a kiss. And I said, see you later. Now, whether I see her on this earth, I know I'll be, that'd be great. But I know I'll see her later. What a hope. What a hope. This is what we can know. I don't know about tomorrow. But I do know by faith what the Bible says. And I don't have to live questioning. That is a silent strength. And that leads us to the last one. And that's why it's number nine, and I'm sure you didn't have to figure out why self-control is last. And again, may I remind you that it is not pick and choose these nine. It's fruit of the Spirit. It isn't fruits. You could go back to Galatians 5 just to double check. You cannot say that you're loving today, and yet you are not willing to be selfless. You cannot say that you have joy, and yet you're in a panic mess. You are either walking in the Spirit, you're either in step with the Spirit, and then the fruit of His Spirit flows out of you, or you're not. You're walking in the step with your own self. Simple definition of self-control. And I don't mean to be silly. It's controlling self. Self Self-control means you know that self has got to be controlled. And you're going to need all eight, all eight of those characteristics of Jesus to be able to listen to his voice instead of your own. Remember what we said patience was? It was a self-restraint. Self-control means I'm going to control myself, and I can only do that under his power. And that's why I was given his power. And shame on me if I don't utilize it. And I don't choose to resolve to go to the Lord. You know, 
I had you look up because temptation is something that Paul says we are going to be dealing with that all the time we live on this earth. But he reminds us that there isn't a temptation that's too great. There is no temptation too great if we go to the Lord for help. And James says, if you fall to that temptation and you use the cockamamie excuse of, well, I couldn't help it. The devil just made me do it. I couldn't help but couldn't resist. You can joke about it. But James says, the only reason you failed, the only reason you fell to that temptation was because of you. Because you are not more powerful than the devil. The devil is more powerful than you, and you chose not to activate. And you know what? Temptation is really all about you anyway. It, temptation is when you want to do what you want to do. But you have a spirit, his spirit, living inside of you that's saying, don't go there. The consequences are too great. You got a greater power. So I, I made a statement. So often we say Jesus died on the cross to save us from our what? Our sins. I think we're taught that right from day one. And he did. But do you realize that sins are just the ramification of ourself? So Jesus died on the cross, and I hope that you start changing this in your mind. Jesus died on the cross to save you from who? Right. Jesus died on the cross to save me from me. I hope you have seen and hope you took the time in question 13 to watch how beautifully they all are linked together. To be able to know that you can love the way he loved, that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you and chose you to be his. Do you realize that that kind of love is not always a feeling? It's an act of obedience. And that was, the Holy Spirit will help you love an unlovable. Because that testimony... No one has ever went to the Lord through condemnation. They were one to the Lord through love. Remember that. And his kind of love working through you, and when you live out that kind of love, I'll tell you, that gives you a joy when you know you're handling life and people and relationships the right way. It gives you joy because Jesus said, it doesn't matter whether you're happy or not. Your joy is complete when I'm running your show. Joy, too, is not a feeling. Joy is knowing that no one can take away your salvation. Knowing no one or nothing can take him and snatch you from your father's hand. What a way to get up in the morning. That's joy. It is well with my soul. That's joy. When you live in that kind of joy, that automatically... Even though the storms of life are going to come at surprising rate and th want to throw you off, yes, you can be alarmed. 
but you can find that there's peace in the middle of the storm. Because he is your peace. Every one of the fruit have to do with Jesus. And that's why when you're walking in him, when you're walking with him, that peace leads to patience. Learning how to wait on him instead of running to fix it yourself. Self-restraint. Patience leads to kindness. It's when, when you're willing to be selfless. And that's going to cost. That's going to take time. It's going to take money. It's going to take a lot of things. But when we studied the fruit of kindness, it wasn't just a simple lesson on being nice. It was a lesson on, are you going to listen to the Holy Spirit because you might impact someone's life for all eternity. You could, by one act of kindness, without being melodramatic, you could change someone's life. That after kindness, that can lead to goodness. And goodness is when you understand God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. When you're starting to realize that God's definition of good might not meet to your criteria. But you can know, like Paul said, that in all things, he's working for the good of you. He knows what you and I need. That's why I dared say when I prayed today, Lord, I've got the nerve to believe your definition of good today and do whatever you have to do to all of us today to keep us close with you. And we learn from Psalm 107 that God, that God had to dry rivers and put them into deserts sometime to get them people to get their attention, and he has to do what he's got to do to us too. He knows the damage and the danger when we veer off course, and we can be thankful he loves us enough to be good enough to us to do what needs to be to get us back on track. And then he wants to produce faith in us so that we can pray, that we can face our vast armies, that we can stay connected to him, that we can, we can live life abundant. Because we might not be sure of our tomorrow, but we're sure of the one who holds our tomorrow. That we can stand firm and we can be confident. We can have that silent strength because we know. Gentleness. And then to be able to control ourselves, because Jesus said you must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Because life is a big old cross sometimes. And just follow me. Trust me with all your heart. Don't lean to your own common reasoning. In all your ways, choose to acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You might not always get a yes answer, but you will always get the right answer. And you believe that by faith because you've got his very spirit working inside of you. That's why you can sing through it all, through it all. I'm learning I can trust in Jesus. I'm learning I can trust his word. Father, thank you. Thank you again for loving us so much that you gave us instruction that's black and white that we, if we follow it, we will reap the benefit. If we don't follow it, 
we will fall to ourselves and suffer the consequence. Thank you that Jesus said I came to give life abundant, that we don't just look forward to that day that we know is awaiting us, that place that's awaiting us, but that we can live abundant every morning when we get up because we walk with you. That's a sure thing. We pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.